0: and welcome to 31 Days of Terror Day 12 To kick things off today I would like to thank our newest Patreon subscribers I would like to thank Heather Ruiz Lauren Polinka, Molly K. Harney Nate M.F. Jones Brandon Garcia Amy Kavanagh Cam Charlotte Robin Moscrop Jen Mather Megan Ryan Kim S., Alexandra, Ashley Miles, Chris, Kelly Tripkovich, Jeanelle Parker, Julie Carlson, Charlotte F., and Keir Van Lu. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I am so thankful for you every single day. And I have six spooky stories for you today. And story number one comes from Izzy. I don't want to say that I'm an experienced person in the séance world, but I have had a few, shall we say, weird experiences. The most memorable one was when I and my husband Paul were staying at my nan's house for the night. It was around 2011, maybe 2012. My nan has lived in her house for most of her life, and has raised both her children there, one of them being my mum who is now in her early 50s. My granddad, my mum's dad, died in the 80s before I was born, and a lot of the house stayed the same since. So what I'm saying is, this house plays a big part in our lives, and is very special to all of us. My nan has done a lot of seances in her lifetime, and once I was old enough, she's gotten me into them too. We don't do them very often, we almost go through phases where we do several in one year. This particular night was a really warm one, around the middle of July. We were sitting outside, eating a Chinese takeaway. The night was still young and there was talk of a séance. My husband had done maybe one or two beforehand with my nan, so he was quite partial to the fact that my family are quite weird and do these things quite a bit. From what I recall of the events, given it's over eight years ago, we got in touch with a little girl. She said she died very young and had a sister called Betty. Betty was my nan's next-door neighbour, who had lived in the house almost the length of time my nan had lived in hers. Over 50 years. The children grew up together. Betty is a lot older than my nan, she's in her late 80s. Although she's old and frail, there isn't anything physically wrong with her, and she seems in good health. The little girl went on to say that Betty wasn't well, and the number three kept cropping up. The little girl passed, and we got in touch with several others. Nothing significant that I can recall. Then we got in touch with something else completely. We ask it, What is your name? It spells out the name Lucas. And what happened next terrified us all. The three of us, my nan Paul and I, all had our finger on the glass. And no word of a lie, the glass moved out of the circle and looped the letters on the outside. I have never ever known a glass to leave the circle. My husband was terrified and removed his finger from the glass. My nan and I continued. The glass moved around for a bit and then went back in the circle and clearly spelled the letters F-U-K-O-F-F. We were playing with something that night we should never have gotten into contact with. And whatever it was, it wanted us to stop. My nan and I removed our fingers from the glass and immediately stopped playing. I haven't actually played for a good seven years since, and I've only recently started again because we listen to your podcasts. It terrified the life out of me, and whoever it was, did not want us messing. And story number two comes from Michaela. As a child, my paternal grandparents would take me on many days out. On this particular day, I was packed into the car and turned up to a grand-looking stately home in Lancashire. At the time, I didn't know the name of it, and it wasn't until 16 years later that I found out. My grandad paid for our tour. We were the last of the day, and no one else but our group were left in the building. As the tour began, we stood in the courtyard, listening to the guide talk about the age of the building and some areas we were about to see. Being nine, I wasn't really paying attention, and instead I let my eyes wander. That's when I saw a woman, dressed in what appeared to be an elaborate green dress through a window. She had a headpiece, similar to Tudor's style, also in a green colour. I thought this was odd, so I tried to gain the attention of my nan. I pulled her sleeve and asked her to look in the direction of the woman. She immediately shushed me, as the guide was still talking and she was an incredibly polite woman. So I stayed quiet, but carried on looking. The whole time she'd been staring at the floor in front of her. I couldn't see if she was looking at anything as the window stopped just above her hips. The woman then looked up slowly, turned her head in my direction, and looked me straight in the eye. For a few seconds we were looking straight at each other, then she slowly broke eye contact, and looked at the ground in front of her again. Now this is where I freaked out, because she seemingly completely vanished before my eyes. Just there, solid and real, one second, and poof, gone the next. My little mind was racing. I convinced myself she had simply stepped out of the light, and it looked like she vanished. We went on with our tour, which I enjoyed very much. I am an avid lover of history, so this was great. Towards the end of the tour, we passed through a sort of stone hallway with windows that looked out into the courtyard. And this was where I would seen the mysterious woman. I felt uneasy, but everything looked normal. That's when the guide stopped us to talk about the normal-looking walkway. He told us that a previous owner of the house had had a daughter called Jane. She had been in a scandalous affair with a servant... The young man had been killed in this walkway by Jane's father while she watched. Well, the blood drained from my face, and I abruptly blurted out that I had seen someone in this room. I told the guide what I had seen, and he was very keen. Apparently, he had been a guide for nearly 20 years and had never seen the ghost, but others he had shown around had. Everyone had a little chuckle at my expense, but the guide 100% believed what I had seen. We left, and while I remember the events, I still didn't know where I'd actually been that day. Sixteen years later, I was out for the day with my fiance and his mum to a place called Houghton Tower. We planned to go to a stately home for a coffee and a tour. Immediately upon walking towards the stone entrance to the courtyard, I was struck by a really uneasy feeling. When I walked into the courtyard, it all flooded back to me. I went and stood exactly where I had stood that day 16 years ago. I felt no presence, but I did for a second feel closer to my nan again. She had gotten cancer shortly after our day out and died when I was 13. No strange events happened on our tour. I do like to think if I had seen a spirit all those years ago, they'd be happy to see me again. Before we go on to story number three, I don't know if you can hear that there has literally just been torrential rain and I was mid-story and I didn't want to break the flow so I don't know if you can hear it but I'm sitting in, it's night time when I'm recording again and again, I don't know why but I'm sitting with the curtains open so I can see out and there's like thunder and lightning and torrential rain and uh, I mean it looks, it looks amazing but I'm convinced that I'm going to see the reflection of somebody looking back through the window at me and... um, yeah if I did I would just fling the microphone out the window I think so I'm sorry if you can hear disturbance that's what it is it's just wind and rain and story number three comes from Chris I would start this by saying that I've always been a skeptic however I'm now a believer of all things paranormal I built my house in 2004 and it wasn't on any kind of crazy land or anything For the first nine years of living there, I never heard, saw, or felt anything off. But fast forward to 2013. I'd been dating my fiancé for a year and decided it was time to move in together and get married. Around June of 2013, my now wife as well as my stepdaughter moved in. I also have a son that stays here. Everything seemed normal. So I thought... I only have my son on the weekends, so the weeks were fairly quiet. My daughter was always quick to fall asleep and wouldn't get up throughout the night. One night while laying in bed, I heard a noise that sounded like a ball bouncing. I immediately thought my daughter was up, so I went to put her back to bed. But she was in bed, and she hadn't moved. I chalked that up to maybe one too many beers and headed back to bed. The very next night, the routine went the same way. As we were lying in bed, we heard a chair moving in the dining room. Of course, I went to look, and there was nothing. At this point, I was like, man, I need to cut back on my drinking. The weekend came, and my son, who was almost four, was riding home with us. His sister is the same age, so they are as thick as thieves. As they were talking, my four-year-old child asks his sister, Has Casper come back to play yet? I was immediately freaked out. When I asked him who Casper was, they both just replied, Our friend. I then went into dad mode and explained to them not to talk to strangers. And this is where it gets weird. A day later, my wife woke up asking why I had scratched her in my sleep. When I looked, she had three deep scratches on her breast. I explained that I didn't know how I did it and I was sorry but I had no nails things went along as usual with hearing a ball bouncing and chairs moving across the hardwood floors nightly I joked with my wife that maybe it's the ghost of a basketball player that's still practicing she wasn't amused the very next night she woke up again telling me she felt something I told her to go back to sleep and stop letting her thoughts get the better of her The next morning, as she got out of the shower, I noticed what appeared to be a bruise on her leg. It looked like a handprint. In the exact area she said she felt something tugging at her. It was hard for me to comprehend this, seeing as I was a sceptic. Things were normal for about a week. Around two weeks later, my wife came running back into the bedroom screaming that something grabbed her. I get tough and go to look. And I found nothing, and no sign of anything. At this point, I was getting concerned about my wife. She had always been a believer. She even told me stories about hearing things at her old house that were supernatural, seeing shadow men and the like. I just went along with her stories because, you know, I love her. A few weeks later, my job had sent me to West Tennessee for training. I called my wife and asked her how everything was going. I could tell that she was shook. And she just told me that things were fine. But last night she had seen a dark black shadow in the corner. I thought it was just my imagination, she said. Until it started moving towards us. It was at this point I decided maybe, just maybe I should call someone. I had an acquaintance that was deep into the paranormal. I'm talking crystal, smudging and all that stuff. We chose a weekend that the kids would not be home. And asked them over to figure out what the hell was going on. Once they pulled up and started pulling out this case of equipment, I immediately laughed, thinking of the Ghostbusters. They started out asking us a few questions and started smudging. They then told me that I must ask the spirits to leave. They gave me a prayer to repeat, and we walked through my home. Once we got to my garage, I continued reciting the prayer that I was told to recite. It was at this point the light started to flicker. Now this is a newer home with no electrical issues, so like any red-blooded American, I got freaked out at this point. And the house became super cold. We decided to take it to our bedroom, seeing as my wife had felt most of the things there. They had some handheld machine that could see heat signatures. Once they pointed it towards my wife, it lit up. It was at this moment that everything for me went blank. Now I don't know any of this, but my wife still insists to this day that this is what happened. According to my wife and the ghost hunter, I became a very red hot spot on the monitor. My wife tells it as this. I was sitting extremely still and then looked around the room. I laughed and started speaking German or some other language. After the German, I went back to English and explained: "You need more than a book and spells to stop me." I supposedly looked at my wife and said, "You are mine." And apparently I said some really awful things to my wife and the ghost hunter. I woke up sitting outside my home. Granted the last room I had seen was my garage the professionals were extremely freaked out and would not come back in. When I asked them why they wouldn't help us, they just said they were scared. I insisted we needed the help and they insisted I stay outside. They went back into my home and of course I followed them. At this point, they were telling my wife to make sure I don't go near a mirror, so I didn't. They then told us whatever happened, it should be gone and to be thankful it is. I... Don't speak any German. Things were quiet for some time after the cleansing. Six months almost to the day, we had some friends over watching a movie. Our children were with the other parents, so it was just us. As we were sitting there, we heard the laughter of a little girl. My friend looked at all of us and we just said, Yep, we heard it too. At this point we are okay with the innocent things. We know that something is here. I've seen a little girl walk into my daughter's room even when she isn't home. I can feel eyes on me when I walk by. I would like to say that some spirits aren't all bad. But some really are. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. And story number four comes from Victoria. My dad recently did a deep dive into his ancestry and shared a slideshow of pictures to me and my sisters. Pictures of gravestones, portraits, deeds to land, etc. One picture completely stopped me in my tracks. The date of my deceased grandfather's death. Tragically, I never met this man. He committed suicide about five years after my parents were married. The date of my grandfather's death is my birthday. I was born exactly on the fourth anniversary of his passing. Now, this may be a coincidence, but as a 25-year-old, finding this out, certain things in my life now make more sense. When I was a little girl, we had visited my family in Richmond, Virginia for Christmas, one morning I woke up before anyone else. I often did since I was an early riser. I stayed snuggled up in bed. As I was drifting off my dad walked into the room. He looked at me my sister and my cousin and stayed at the edge of my bed looking down lovingly. I was a silly kid and pretended to be asleep. As my dad walked out I woke up and said, Hi dad. He whispered, "Hi." have When I went down for breakfast about an hour later, my dad had changed clothes and was sitting at the breakfast table. I said, Dad, you changed your clothes. My mom said that he had just changed from his pyjamas to the clothes that he was wearing. And I said, no, he came into my room this morning and was wearing a white button-down shirt. My parents looked strangely at each other. My dad said that he had just gotten back from setting traps to collect specimens for his field biology class and that I must have dreamed it. He didn't go into my room this morning. I didn't know what this meant until I was older, and I'd seen more pictures of my granddad. The man in my bedroom was my granddad. My dad looked so much like him, just slighter build. It would make sense that I would think it was my dad, being that I had just woken up. I didn't know what ghosts were either, since I was only seven. Throughout my life, I've been in situations where I truly think I am in danger, and seemed to come out of it by a stroke of luck i joke that it's my guardian angel but maybe it's not a joke maybe it's my granddad checking up on me the last time i think my granddad visited me was in my childhood home i was calling my boyfriend to tell him good night when my cell phone began to sound like static i hung up and texted him that it must have been a bad connection and proceeded to try and fall asleep I know that cell phones don't make static noises when they have bad connections, the calls just drop. As I was dozing off in my bed, I felt a hand on my shoulder and a whisper close to my ear saying, Victoria. It sounded like my dad so I sat up expecting to see him, but nobody was there. And story number five comes from Anonymous. My mum and dad decided to rent a beautiful chalet in a wooded area by a lake, a place famous for its beauty in eastern Canada just before Christmas. They arrived and promptly started unpacking, putting the food they had brought into the fridge. They were a bit puzzled by how much food they had brought. Even though they would only be staying a few days, they brought food as if they were staying for ages. The chalet was lovely but there were lots of pictures on the walls of what seemed to be the husband of the woman they rented the house from, which they thought was a bit weird as it was an Airbnb rental. The area where the chalet was is completely surrounded by pines, no other houses around, and being winter, it got pitch black quite early. The chalet had huge front windows, and my mum thought it was quite creepy that they couldn't see anything outside, but if someone was outside, they were able to look in. On the living room floor, there was a wicker basket full of magazines. They moved it to the side and sat on the couch with a glass of wine and were chatting when they heard a loud crashing sound, like breaking glass coming from the kitchen. They got up to go towards the kitchen to check, and the basket of magazines was in their way, even though they'd moved it aside. They moved it aside again and went into the kitchen to see what had broken, and couldn't find anything at all. When they turned to go back into the living room, the basket of magazines had moved again. They were quite spooked, and decided to go to the bedroom and call it a night. The rooms were in a strange kind of basement level, and again with all those photos on the walls. They didn't manage to sleep a wink. There was a storm which knocked out the power and the house was freezing cold. All night long they heard a noise that sounded like something scratching the wall or door. They were too afraid even to go to the bathroom. When the day finally dawned they had such a sense of dread they decided to get the hell out of there. They called the owner and used the lack of power as an excuse as to why they couldn't stay all the days they'd booked the chalet for neglecting to tell her it was really due to the general creepiness of the house and the odd goings-on, and she agreed to refund them what they had paid for the week. They packed their stuff into the car as quickly as they could, and before they left, my mum looked at the house again. She still thought all those windows looking out onto the forest were quite creepy. She took a photo, and they left. When they got home, They told the story to my brother and sister and showed them the photo of the chalet. I never saw the photo, but they swear they saw what looked like a person standing in one of the windows. There was nobody in the house. I know we always talk about synchronicities on the podcast, like multiple stories will come up at the same time that deal with the same subject or whatever. But why have I just talked about being sitting in the office looking out into the darkness expecting to see somebody looking back at me and this story is about looking out into the darkness and not knowing if somebody is watching you I am now shitting myself just want to let everybody know this is awful and if I leave this room and anything is moved I'm moving out and story number six comes from Kriti so I'm from India And let me tell you, there are a million different ghosts, demons, entities, you name it, in the culture. When I was 14, I was sleeping over at a school friend's house. There were three other girls at this sleepover, and my friend's twin. So as teens do, we just had to do something out of the box, something that was forbidden. So we did what was pretty obvious. Sally lived in a huge house. It had two levels, plus an attic and a basement, and there was a wooded area behind it. Just behind the woods, there was a shortcut for reaching a cemetery from British-era India. So when her parents were asleep, we took two small rucksacks and packed them with sour candy, candles, matches, chips and two thin blankets. We crept down the stairs, all six of us, and slowly unlocked the back door which opened just into their backyard which led to the woods. We switched on torches because they gave better light than the ones on our phones. We made our way through the woods and kind of took random turns till we reached the cemetery about 15 minutes later. It is worth mentioning that I'm not really a believer in the supernatural. I think that it's easily explained by science. So we reached the cemetery. And let me tell you, being in a cemetery in the middle of the night isn't anything like what movies and television lead us to believe. It was like 12.30am and there was no sudden change in temperature, no creepy sounds, no fog or other fucked up shit like that. I felt almost calm. It was quiet, but somehow noisy. I could hear all the crickets and the animals. But it felt calm. We laid out the blankets and started eating the snacks. And suddenly, Joe said... You know, the cemetery is full of English soldiers and their wives. One of the wives was a nurse. Her name was Searsha Cross. She was an Irish girl, and she supposedly overdosed patients on drugs just so she could later save them and have the glory. She's buried here. Being the young pioneers we thought we were, we decided to have some fun by playing hide and seek, and Joe was the seeker. We made a bet that whoever could collect sustainable proof about Saoirse's existence while hiding would have their coffee paid for by the other people for two whole weeks. While Joe was counting to 50, the rest of us scattered throughout the graveyard, not switching on the torches because we didn't want Joe to find us by light. I hid behind a large grave, which was in front of an opening into a mouth of the woods, so I was sort of hidden between trees and a tombstone. I waited for a good five minutes before I started to look around and for some reason I was particularly fascinated by the graves on my left which only went further and further away from our initial sitting spot. It was very dark and the moon too was a thin crescent. I looked around and made sure Joe wasn't near so he couldn't spot me and then I quietly set off to explore. The twigs were crunching beneath my feet And despite my initial easiness, the thought finally dawned upon me that I was, in fact, in a cemetery. Dead in the middle of the night, with weird sounds all around me. And it was starting to get chilly. For the first time since our arrival, I felt spooked and uneasy and creepy. Despite this, I looked around, waiting to come across something, anything... And it was then that I heard the sound of an additional pair of feet, crunching twigs, and turned around only to see Joe come up behind me. And I let out a small yelp, but quickly sagged with relief. He, on the other hand, had the laugh of his life and said to me, calm down, it's only me. I felt so cliched, like all the people in the movies who get scared by their friends pretending to be some haunted being. I asked him what he was doing so far away and that he couldn't have possibly expected to find anyone here. To which he replied with a shrug that he too felt like coming in this direction, because he felt a tug to it, and then he saw me and decided to scare me. Now, nobody else knew this, but Joe and I were very casually hooking up, and had been for the past two months and didn't want to tell anyone. So we thought we were alone, there was pretty solid cover of trees nearby, why not make out for a couple of minutes? While doing this, my back was pressed against the trunk of a tree, and about five minutes later I felt like looking over Joe's shoulder, just like that for no apparent reason. So I did just that, and what do you know, I saw someone, I couldn't really decipher if it was a man or a woman, but someone, rather, the silhouette of a person, and I immediately screamed bloody murder. Joe in a frantic state looked over his shoulder and screamed too. He grabbed my hand and all thought of documentation of that wretched thing was lost in the moment and we ran, ran like Satan himself was behind us. We ran towards where we came from and after what seemed like ages we came across Amy and Tina. They stopped and asked us what had happened, they had heard us scream and come looking for us. I was almost in tears and felt like I couldn't breathe, so Joe calmed me down. All the while, Tina and Amy stared at us, waiting for us to explain. Tina took out her phone, and gave a call to Sally and Jess, and told them to come to the location she gave them. After three or four minutes, the six of us were gathered around, and the first question Sally asked us was why. Joe was holding my hand. Jess told her to shut up, and I told them what I saw. Sally and Jess immediately burst out laughing, claiming that we were making it up. But Amy and Tina told them that they had heard Joe and I scream and we had come running like it was a fire-breathing dragon chasing us. It was then that I told them the only reason I was in that place in the first place was because I felt drawn to it. And I could swear, at that moment, everybody paled like paper. Everybody had felt the same although they didn't really feel like walking that far, so they just sort of toddled their way slowly over there. I was literally crying at that point, and Sally, being the immense maniac that she is, casually stated to us that she was going to go the whole way to where we were, where we saw the silhouette, and she wanted to look around. We pleaded with her not to, to just go back home, but she wouldn't listen, and we couldn't just leave her behind in the graveyard. I suddenly felt very brave and, to be honest, annoyed. I can't explain the annoyance, but I can say that I just felt like that thing had no right to give me a mini heart attack. So when I said that I would go with her, everybody just sort of looked at me, and blinked, and asked if I had hit my head or something. We all agreed to check it out, and set off for what I can only call my stupidest decision ever. After a long walk, we reached the place. I showed them exactly where I was standing and they all took turns standing there. While Tina was standing there, Jess looked around and suddenly called out to Joe. Joe, what did you say that nurse's name was? We walked over to where Jess was standing and Joe told her that the name was Searsha Cross. Jess then pointed her torch at a nearby grave. ...where we could just make out the name. It was David Langley Cross. The other inscriptions weren't visible. They were pretty smudged, but it seemed like he had died in 1897. And where it was written Beloved Husband, or that's what we presumed it to be... ...the letters S, A, R and E were visible, with gaps in between some letters indicating the possibility of the name Searsha to be spelled out. Never in our lives had we run out of somewhere so fast as we did that day. It's been years since that incident. Joe and I officially got together, Sally and Joe's parents still live near that horror ground, and Amy has PTSD from that night. But we're all still best friends, meeting up very often. But it has become an unspoken rule between us all that we never talk about that night, ever. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Izzy, Michaela, Chris, Victoria, Anonymous and Critty for sending in your stories. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow.